0: Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-42. After we die, if our worldview is based on our good and the merit we earn and being worthy of the eternal life and kingdom of the promises of God, uh, it's going to get kind of interesting because... We are going to naturally come up short. Hi there, this is Avi Ben Mordechai, and once again, this is Real Israel Talk Radio. On today's program, we're going to tackle the subject of the worldview and definition of good thanks for joining us today. Let's uh, dive right in, okay? Now, everyone has a worldview. And it would be my guess that everyone develops a set of worldview principles by which they live and judge right and wrong. You know, the values that guide all of us into the choices that we make for everyday living. I would ask the question, how might we define the term good? A secondary question then follows, is mankind a creation with enough inherent good, or perhaps does man have the means to acquire enough moral goodness or merit to be worthy of an afterlife of eternal bliss in a world to come? Uh, Perhaps you could even say from an opposite position, could it be said that none of us are quite good enough, however we're going to define good, to be deserving of any eternal afterlife or bliss based on whatever merits we have or perhaps can acquire along our journey of life. Now, I'm asking these questions in order to set up the various systems of religious opinions and theological worldviews that we often come across every day in our walk of life. To Jewish people, it is taught in a rather matter-of-fact way that enough merit can, in fact, be earned in everyday life by careful, strict attention to and observance of Jewish religious law. To non church going folks amongst the general population, if you should pose a kind of what is good question or add to it a, a kind of afterlife type of question, well, you might hear something like, Such an afterlife must be based on one's actions, whether one lived a good life as opposed to one who lived a bad life of sinfulness. And then it would be necessary to go on and define what is sin. In other words, an afterlife depends on how good we are. If you want an afterlife, you are going to have to be good And that means you're going to have to either earn it or somehow get it and deserve it. Now, to atheists, if one should ask this definition of what is good and perhaps attach the principal question of being deserving of some kind of afterlife after we die, the general response would be a worldview that there really is no afterlife when we die. In other words, when you die, you die, and there is no afterlife to speak of, and that goodness does exist in all individuals. So therefore, if we are willing to make choices towards good behavior in this life, then we can collectively develop a strategy to evolve our species of mankind. And by doing so, all of us can make the world a better place for everyone in the future and add some goodness to the world while we're at it. And that's the general principle. But as for our own personal future... According to general principles of atheism, many will say that we must live lives of good, because after death, really there is nothing more except to make a brighter future for everyone else who is yet to come. Now, to Christians basing life on the written teachings of the Bible, there is a popular worldview that establishes its basic ideas, including but not limited to the following principles. Everyone who believes in Jesus goes to heaven when they die, because we are not good within ourselves, but also that because jesus is good then we too must strive to be good like him in other words to walk like jesus walked that's what you will generally hear so this said i would like to now return back to the ideas of judaism because this is where i want to tackle the subject simply because the Bible, as we understand it, derives from a Jewish theological worldview. All the first century early believers in Yeshua were Jews, so they would naturally have a Jewish worldview. So let's dive in and take a look at these ideas. Based on the oral teachings of Judaism, amongst the vastness of its teachings, there is an Orthodox Jewish worldview that there is a world to come. In Hebrew, it is called the Olam Haba Olam Haba. As for this world, it is believed that with all of its corruptions and problems and all of the things that are driving this world into utter chaos, the opinion in Orthodox Judaism is that the world can be repaired by the Jews who take their responsibility in the world seriously. That the world can be repaired and returned back to its original perfected state— But that is when Jews hear and do the laws or the mitzvot of Judaism's oral law interpreters, beginning first with the passed down written and oral rulings of the divine revelation given to Moses. Furthermore, Jewish oral tradition teaches that that there is a redemptive spark of life embedded within each Jew, and that every Jewish soul should constantly strive to acknowledge and amplify whatever point of goodness that he or she might actually have in possession. This is referred to in Hebrew as limud zechut, limud zechut, that is, the finding of merit or the finding of worthiness in ourselves and in other Jews to always seek to judge others favorably. So again, this is the general Jewish philosophy of life, because similarly, the Jewish position is that God is going to overlook the sin that blemishes our jewish soul it is referred to as the nefesh yehudi, the jewish soul now how might god turn a blind eye towards sin in the jewish soul how is he able to do that you might ask well it will be through merit whether it is given to us or we earn it thus within many branches of judaism the teaching is that when we measure up short against God's standards for expected holiness and perfection, a Jew can earn additional points of credit that will grant him or her a better ranking of worthiness in a yet future entrance to an afterlife and the resurrection leading into the world to come. Again, referred to in Hebrew as the olam haba. So, a life of observing mitzvot. Mitzvot in Hebrew is the word laws or instructions. So, a life observing mitzvot or laws and instructions, doing prayers and the giving of charity or alms, are actually the three pillars that define the Jewish definition of what is considered good and whether or not we have enough of that merit of good to warrant God giving us the right to enter the olam haba or the world to come, that is, the kingdom of heaven. So, in other words, the definition of good within Judaism is essentially a Jewish ticket in the Olam Habah, and we have to match it if we want that ticket to get into the world to come. In Judaism, it is taught that there is the possibility of topping up one's personal goodness scale or goodness account in order to gain more merit. So... Acquiring merit or worthiness in this life can be gained, but the path is not always so clear among all of the rabbinic and Jewish writers and scholars and rabbis and theological thinkers. There are some varying ideas. Some of them are pitted one against another. So now let's talk briefly about Yom Kippur which in Judaism is called the Day of Judgment. For some, a negative Yom Kippur Day of Judgment can actually be avoided by calling upon the merit of the fathers. And the fathers, in this case, are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they were considered faithful and true to Jehovah. Thus, as many Orthodox Jews will say, It is our sustained hope to attach to the merit of the Fathers, which is referred to in Hebrew as Zechut Avot. Zechut Avot, or as the Eastern European Jews will pronounce it, Zechus Avos. For example... In the Art scroll Machzor prayer book for the fast of Yom Kippur, this is the 1993 edition of that prayer book, on pages 542 through 543, the following English translated prayer reads as follows. If wickedness tips the scale against me, remember my shepherd Moses. Because of his righteousness, befriend me now. The commentary explaining this prayerful statement reads as follows. Having earlier invoked the merit of Abraham, the Pathan now turns to the merit of Moses. If our sins have tipped the scales of justice against us, may God recall the greatness of our shepherd Moses. In other words, that we believed in Moses. But there's something interesting in what Yeshua taught concerning that in John chapter 5, which we will come to shortly. In this same prayer book for the Yom Kippur Fasting Day of Atonement, There is then this on pages 614 to 615. It reads as follows. We are silenced even from finding a supporting hand. Banished is the reward of superior beings. The commentary reads as follows. As a result of Israel's sins, the merit of the patriarchs, that is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was used up. Previously, people could be rewarded or spared from punishment as a result of patriarchal merit. Now we no longer have that merit. Nevertheless, God's covenant with them not to destroy their offspring remains in effect for all time. Why? because a covenant, by definition, remains permanent. So let's go on and talk about this idea of good, goodness, covenants, heaven, and the Jewish question of earned merit, or zechut avot. With the coming of the third and fourth centuries of this common era, you know, some fifteen, sixteen hundred 1,600 years ago, The legal interpreters of the Mishnah, these are men referred to as the Tanaim of the Jewish oral traditions, their claim was that Zechut Avot, the merit of the fathers, no longer had application, arguing with differences of opinion, though, about the exact time when that account for us ran dry. And you can see uh, ideas like this in the Babylonian Talmud at Shabbat 55a, also in Leviticus Rabbah, section 36. So in their understanding, the well of the merit of the fathers had already run dry for all Jews, at least by that time, because of idolatry and corruption. Then, centuries later, Rabbi Yaakov or Jacob Tom, a 12th century French commentator, said that while the merits of the fathers were depleted, admitting that, he goes on to say that nonetheless, God's election of the Jew was an irrevocable contract because of his eternal covenant with the fathers. And uh, that idea would be referred to in Hebrew as the Berit Avot, Berit Avot. For this, you can see the Jewish writings of what is called the Tosafot on Sabbath. Thus, Rabbi Yaakov Tom shifted the concept of earning enough merit by itself through good works, of hearing and doing the law of Moses, that is, from the oral and written law, And he did this by putting an emphasis on the all-enduring remembrance of Jehovah's divine promises and his love for the Jewish people because of his words and promises to the fathers. In other words, his contract is eternal. He's not going to break his word to them. Therefore, in general, Judaism's understanding is, you know, somewhat mixed in regards to how a man can be defined as good or as meritorious in his behavior or worthy of God's eternal kingdom in the Jewish worldview of our life in the world to come, especially after we die. We would like some guarantees that we're going to make it to the other side and be granted rewards. But if our worldview is based on our good and the merit we earn and being worthy of the eternal life and kingdom of the promises of God, uh, it's going to get kind of interesting because we are going to naturally come up short. This is going to lead us to two basic ideas. The first idea is from the first and second century of this common era. The merit of the patriarchs will confer grace. The merit of the patriarchs will confer grace. That is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Earned an inexhaustible or nearly inexhaustible reservoir of merit that can transfer down line and benefit all later descendants of Jews who call upon them, that is the fathers, to share in their merit. But keep in mind, there is also the other idea that has also surfaced over the last two millennia, And that is, there is no longer any transferable merit available through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is, there is no merit of the patriarchs available to us so that that merit can confer grace upon us. No, there's none of that available because our sins among the Jewish people are just far too great and we've essentially outsinned their grace account. And if we outsin the grace account of the patriarchs, then uh, this leaves us with a serious problem. And we are essentially left to build up our own account by way of the three mitzvot or instructional pillars of Judaism. And they are pray. Pay and obey. Pray, pay, and obey. So we are essentially left to ourselves and left to fend for ourselves through our observances of the three mitzvot pillars of Judaism. From way back in the early first and second century of this common era, that the merit of the patriarchs will confer grace. Because, you see, it is not always so easy to keep our Jewish accounting records in the black. That means opposed to tipping our judgment scales into the red or putting us in a deficit position of owing rather than being owed. So again, keep in mind that Yochanan, Ben-Zakai, and the Tanaim of the early days of Judaism, these men were contemporaries of Shaul or Paul of Tarsus, who wrote many of the letters of the New Testament. Remember, it was Paul who went on to write about Father Avraham in his letter penned to the Romans in chapter 4, verses 20 through 25, here's what he said. He, Avraham, or Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him, that is Abraham, for righteousness, or as we understand the definition of righteousness, it was accounted to him for justness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone. Paul goes on to say it was written for us also. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Yeshua, our Messiah, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, that is, offenses inherited from our fallen sin nature and what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And therefore, Yeshua was raised for us and for Abraham and for everyone from that point to our own day. Yeshua was raised for the sake of our justification or for our justness. For the Judaism of Paul's day, which is essentially nearly identical to the Judaism of today— the message clearly fell on deaf ears. Today, it still does. Stephen, like also Paul in his day, rightly perceived the problem in the Judaism of that time frame that of relying on self acquired merit, which in Hebrew again is zikhut avot. Zikhut avot. When Stephen was executed, by the religious court of his day, as it's recorded in Acts 7:51 through 53. So we're going to come back and take a look at these ideas about grace being conferred upon us or merit being given to us in the name of the patriarchs, that that is no longer possible because we've out-sinned their grace account and that it is now up to us. So we'll come back on the second half of the program and take a look at these ideas. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-42.
1: Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai.
0: Okay, Avi Ben Mordechai here, and welcome again. As we return to some thoughts and ideas concerning the Jewish worldview question of accrued merit or grace, so that we can enter into the Olam Haba after we die. So There are two ideas that we talked about, that is, that there is an inexhaustible reservoir of merit that can be transferred down line and benefit all later descendants of Jews who call upon the patriarchs through their merit, that they would share their merit with us. That was one teaching. Another teaching was contrary to that. Essentially saying to us, no, there is no transferable merit available through the patriarchs. There is no vote because we Jews have simply just been too bad and our sins far too great. And we have essentially out-sinned the grace account of the patriarchs. Stephen, like also Paul in his day rightly perceived the problem in the judaism of that time frame that of relying on self-acquired merit which in hebrew again is zikhut avot zikhut avot when stephen was executed by the religious court of his day as it's recorded in acts 751 through 53 read along with me you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, says Stephen. You always resist the Ruach HaKodesh, that is, the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Now, he's not speaking about the fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's speaking about the rabbinic fathers. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, which can be understood as they killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of messengers or angels and have not guarded him or guarded it, referring to the law. But the law is not an it. The law is the word of God. The law is the Messiah. Now, let's go to Isaiah 29, verse 13. In Isaiah 29, 13, it was previously announced by Yeshua from the words of Matthew 15, 7 through 9, the following. Hypocrites! Well... Did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the learned commandments of men, or the commandments of men learned. Nonetheless, to this very day, The idea that we can earn a rite of passage into the world to come, that is the olam haba, which is a resurrection of the dead leading into the kingdom of God. That somehow we can earn a rite of passage into that future world simply by earning merit through our many good deeds which would be defined from the three pillars of Judaism's mitzvot or instructions, which is pray, pay, and obey, or perhaps any other system of the world. It doesn't really matter. And in this case of Judaism, it would be defined and focused on the Mosaic and Rabbinic teachings that are embedded into the instructions or the mitzvot or the commandments of God. Now, the rabbis and sages of Judaism continually pass on the teachings to this very day that we must do Torah, that is, do the Mosaic Law, which will then hopefully, again, hopefully tip the scales in our favor so that God's judgment for our bad or evil actions will be deflected, so to speak. And when that happens, we would be able to earn the merit of all good so that we can expense it out to the world to come. And we will gain a right standing in order to enter into that world. So this is at the core of so many synagogue prayers, particularly those expressed on the Feast of Trumpets or as Judaism calls it, Rosh Hashanah, also for Yom Kippur prayers and really on other feasts and special occasions as well. And this is all when there is the need for some extra guidance for some much needed merit. And, you know, we always say, well, I can always use a little extra merit, a little extra support in this, because after all, you know, relying upon my own uh, level of morality and goodness, I- I'm not sure I'm going to make the grade. So I have to get it from somewhere. Let me then top up my account. That's the general idea. But now, according to Paul, this idea is totally destroyed because, according to Paul, we cannot claim our own merit to be declared just and good Nope. He writes in Romans eleven five 5-7. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election or choice of grace. And then he goes on to say, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But then he says, if it's of works, then it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. (laughs) What then, asks Paul, Israel has not obtained what it seeks, which is to be accepted into the Olam Habah. That's the point. Paul says that the elect, the chosen, have obtained it and the rest were blinded. And previously to the religious leaders of the day, in Paul's day, it was Yeshua who said in John 5, 39 through 47, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So Yeshua says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Again, compare that to what was said in the prayer book from the 1993 edition of the Maksor prayer book from Yom Kippur, pages 542 to 543. If wickedness tips the scale against me, Remember my shepherd Moses because of his righteousness or his justness. So then the request of God is, Befriend me now. And the commentary is, Having earlier invoked the merit of Abraham, the prayer now is turned to the merit of Moses, saying that if our sins have actually tipped the scales of justice against us, On that day of judgment, then the request is God Almighty, please recall the greatness of our shepherd Moses. So that's what the whole idea is. Please give us the merit of Moses, or give us the merit of Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob. Give us merit, because we just don't have enough merit. We are empty, we are bankrupt. That is the whole problem. Therefore, Yeshua would say in John 5, 39 through 47, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life because you're reading from Moses and all the great prophets and all the great fathers of those generations. And he says, no, no, no. He says, those scriptures are they which testify about me. And he goes on to say, you think that you're putting your faith and trust in Moses is going to give you merit and worthiness for the olam haba. But Yeshua says, No. All that trust you have in Moses is going to be for naught. Why? He says, you don't believe me because you don't believe in Moses. But they're saying, we do accept and believe Moses. And Yeshua says, no, you don't. For if you would believe the writings of Moses, then Yeshua says, you would naturally believe my words because he wrote about me. So this is all about what we're dealing with here on the aspect and the Jewish question of accrued merit. So let's concern ourselves with the biblical idea of what is called good and how we can get access to the kingdom of heaven to the olam habah and we can be declared just pure, blameless, clean, righteous, perfect and totally just as though we had done nothing wrong. We can have all of that in the merit of Yeshua Because it's Yeshua that transfers his merit to us. Because we don't have any merit of our own. And if we seek to somehow get enough merit on our own, either through the fathers, the patriarchs, or through something that we can do through the three pillars of the mitzvot of Judaism's pillars, if we can somehow earn the merit or acquire it through maybe the patriarchs, then that is not going to cut it because Yeshua is the one that can only confer the merit of grace and, and his merit upon us because of what he accomplished through his death and through his resurrection on the third day. It's only through Yeshua. And if you would ask me any of these things, even back in the 1990s when I was living towards Orthodox Judaism, I would have thought you were crazy. I'd say, come on, this is nuts. All that New Testament nonsense, that's ridiculous. But now I see, now I understand this is an impossibility that somehow we can gain merit by actions that we live by or we ask for through the merit of the patriarchs. It can't be done. Because they are not the ones that can source it to us. Yeshua was the only one that was capable of sourcing to us his merit. So we get in through his merit, not to ours, not to anyone else's, not to the merit of the fathers of Judaism, not to the merit of any actions or pillars of following the mitzvot of pray pay and obey. Nope, doesn't work that way. Yeshua's merit is what's going to deliver us at the end of days on the day leading into the olam haba. It's only through Yeshua. And I know that now. Again, I would not have known this, nor would I have even believed it. Back when I was first getting into the Orthodox Jewish ideas of the halachic religious life of Judaism. Okay? Now I want to concern ourselves with the biblical idea of what is called good according to the Bible. We know from the Genesis biblical narrative that there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 2 9, we learn this. And out of of the ground, Jehovah Elohim made every tree grow that is delightful to the eyes and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst or in the middle of the garden. I want to draw your attention to the last statement of Genesis 2.9. That is, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that it too was also in the midst, or in the middle, of the garden. In English, the text of Genesis 2-9, at the end of that statement, it goes on to say that there was the tree of life, in Hebrew, the etz hachaim, etz hachaim, and another tree in the garden. And the other tree in the garden, from Hebrew, is Ve'etz hada'at tov vera. Ve'etz hada'at tov vera. In English, it is translated simply as and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Hebrew, the idea of and can mean also. Or, it can be used as a conjunction for words and phrases and sentences. So, in Hebrew, the letter Vav, the sixth letter of the Hebrew Aleph Beit, the Vav often translates to the word and. And you will see a lot of scripture references in the Bible dealing with this word and. It seems that every time you're reading through the verses of the Hebrew narratives, you'll see this word coming up over and over again. And this happened. And that happened. That's with the Hebrew letter vav, the and. And translators use it quite liberally to give us the word and which then helps us to connect, you know, sentences and sentence structures and clauses. However, the Hebrew letter vav has other meanings besides the word and. The vav does some additional work that gives us other words like but, or, so, then, with, when, who, that, and even on the contrary. So the Hebrew Vav is actually quite a versatile little letter with lots of nuances of meaning. And besides all this, the Hebrew letter Vav can also transmit motives into something that we call a Vav of purpose. A Vav of purpose, effectively telling us that there is a motive and a reason for an action. For example, in Genesis 18.25, Abraham says to Jehovah, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. The English translated phrase, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. That phrase, so that, translates the Hebrew term vahaya. And there you can hear the v because it's the Hebrew letter vav being added to the word haya as a prefix. Through the Hebrew letter vav, Avraham transmits to Yehovah why he feels the way he feels. And why he expects such an action to be far from his character. Essentially, sharing his feelings with Jehovah and saying to him, No, this is not who you are. This shows us one example of the Hebrew vav of purpose. And I tell you, there are hundreds of such cases just like this in the Hebrew Scriptures lots of these vav of purpose ideas. Therefore, the precise meaning of the Hebrew letter vav in any given narrative depends on the local context. That's the only way to know how to translate it. In the Genesis chapter 3 Garden of Eden narrative, when the text says that there was the tree of life in the midst of the garden and another tree in the midst of the garden, the narrative begins the statement with a vav, as if to say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is also there. But it could be read that it does not belong there. In other words, this other tree in the Garden of Eden, the etzadah Tovera the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this other tree is totally contrary and out of place in the garden. But the one thing that we do know is that the tree looked good to the eyes, as Adam's wife Eve said in Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. That's my translation as I'm reading it from the Hebrew. So, if that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was contrary to the Garden of Eden, and it did not actually belong there, then I would ask the question, well, who might have put it there? Who planted the tree into that soil? Was it Jehovah? My answer to the question is no. I don't think Jehovah planted something in his garden that was considered contrary to what was supposed to be there. No. Simply, the tree did not belong in the Garden of Eden. It was contrary to that soil. And it appears that Yeshua understood the challenge in this same way, explaining it to us through his parable of the sower and the seed. Here is some of that statement here in Matthew thirteen, twenty-four through 28. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while man slept, His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. Hit it. So let's come back next time and let's talk about the definition of good. Stay with us and we'll be back on the next program to carry on with the subject. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Thanks so much. And do go to our website if you want more information on anything that we're doing with this outreach ministry. And that is www.cominghome.co.il That is
1: cominghome.co.il This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi Ben-Mordecai. If you wish to stay up to date with coming home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. From time to time, we hope to answer questions and comments from our podcast listeners. So if you have a comment or a question, send us an email address to questions at cominghome.co.il. Again, questions at cominghome.co.il. And when you send us a question, please tell us your first name and where you're from. Also, we would appreciate it greatly if you will do your best to keep your questions short and to the point. Questions will be answered in upcoming podcasts from time to time.
0: Thank you so much for being with us on Ancient Roads' Real Israel Talk Radio. Have a great week.